You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am. Streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, everybody. Annie here for Solidarity Breakfast. And uh, we've got quite a lot of stuff to uh, go through this morning. Uh, You might be aware that uh, the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is coming up. It's got, uh, it's been showing online, but it's got a theatrical uh, presence happening starting on the 21st of July next week at Nova. And uh, today we're going to go down the road of uh, covering a couple of the films, uh, all on environment, in fact, because, of course, environment matters. And uh, we're also going to... uh, hopefully get enough time to uh, listen to what happened at the Alan Jose uh, Art Award for Young Women that happened uh, about a week ago. Uh, Of course, uh, there were uh, six finalists, many um, people put in and six finalists, and so we'll hear from them. A uh, very exciting development, uh, a support for uh, the developing talents of young female artists. Uh, but before we get on to all that, we're going to go back to the uh, birthday of Julian Assange. There was uh, uh, various rallies around the world that were uh, noting uh Julian Assange's 51st birthday a couple of weeks ago, and Melbourne was no exception. Uh, And uh, I I must warn you that uh, we're going to open up with the Welcome to Country. Robbie Robbie Thorpe did a rousing Welcome to Country, and if you weren't awake, properly awake, uh, this will wake you up. It's wild and woolly. It's followed by uh, a speaker from PEN, which is the international organisation that defends the rights of journalists who are imprisoned. And, of course, that's what's happening with Julian Assange. We heard last week the great news that Bernard Kaliri has had his uh, uh, charges dropped, his case is over. Thank goodness. There's still a couple of uh, whistleblowers, uh, one that uh, divulged the uh, shenanigans at the ATO and uh, also uh, someone who, uh, David McBride, who uh, uh, had the temerity to uh, talk about uh, Australia's war crimes in Afghanistan 
both people followed procedures, the procedures that were in place, but of course uh, nobody wanted to know that uh, one, Australian soldiers were murdering people, uh, holeless bowlers, prisoners, and that uh, the ATO were scurrilously t- uh, uh, undermining uh, citizens using uh, systems that were not part of their legitimate processes. but uh, And they're still um, uh, aren't being... Um, uh, pursued by the courts, uh, so that they're things that have to be uh, considered. Uh, these are, uh, if you're in a robust democracy, these things should not be happening. And of course, Julian Assange uh, being in jail and then uh, being uh, extradited to the US takes this to a whole new level. But like I said, we'll go to the rally and. Uh, be warned, uh, Robbie was uh, f- a firecracker on that day. On! When we say cook, it's a nasty wet dream, Australia, and you've allowed it to slide so far right. You've allowed it to manifest because you're greedy yourself. Our people paid for all this. With their blood. True. 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 Someone hold my dog for me. I don't need a microphone. I don't need your technology. We want our clean air and water. We want a future for our children. And this country is mentally ill. All of you, stop paying taxes to your terrorists. Stop it! Western liberal democracy bullshit! What's that about? Red, white and blue. You know what it means for our people? Redneck, white law, blue murder, black death. That's what it means. Now you're fanning them about the truth. Start here in your own backyard. Start demanding that he comes home. And these people, these colonisers, have all got their assets on our sacred land. There's no deals here. There's no peaceful settlement. We're not subject to their law. We're subject to the laws of humanity. Now, we seen it when they first came. They were dehumanised. No spirit in these people. That's why it's so easy to manipulate and control you. It's a penal colony, for God's sake. When did that change? Australia's never had a revolution, but it's always been revolting. Do something. Do something today. Time and the oxygen is running out. A lot of our people die in custody as you may be aware. In fact, it's the highest rate on earth. What's that about us? We didn't commit the crimes. We didn't go elsewhere in the world looking to commit, do anything to anybody else. We're in our own home clans here. Have you all got your little boxes on? You ever seen anything 
say an Aboriginal cafe, Aboriginal restaurant, nothing, nothing. So, thank you. Anyway, thank you. Thank you, Robbie. And I want to acknowledge, I want to acknowledge the ancestors of this land whose blood is all over it. This war has not been recognised and it hasn't ended. Look at what's going on, folks. And when we do that, start to deal with reality, you can't be in denial all your life. It doesn't help anybody. Stand up, get up, rise up, and uprise for everybody. Everybody's human rights and the rights of everything in the natural world that we should be taking care of. Rather than allow these multinationals to tear this land apart. And you're all living on that, your little mum and dad shares, you know. It's none so, a worse country that's so willfully blind. You know, we need to step up for the truth. What's a world worth living in? If you've got no truth or no trust, what are you leaving for your children? It's not just about you. Right? Aboriginal people think cyclical. Our spirits are still here with us. That's why we pay respects to our ancestors who died for you, not Jesus. Our people died for that. And no one recognises the, the oldest war on the planet. Right here where you're standing. How convenient. Clever country. All your institutions have got our knowledge. They, they sell it to you. They dribble it out. Every institution in this country is racist. Sorry to spoil the tea party. But yeah, we're here for some justice for our brother. Now he's got a, not only is he an Australian citizen, he's got an Aboriginal passport with him. It's one of the only things he's got in himself. Now he represents the truth. So do I. Now tell me if I'm wrong. I want to know. Anytime. So I, my way of thinking about the truth is exposing lies. It's another way to find the truth. And Australia, like I said, is one big monumental lie. It's never ended. So, happy birthday, Julian. Hope to see you out soon. We're going to get put the pressure on that Queen Elizabeth. She's got a she's got a jet. She can fly him home tomorrow. It's her prison, and our people are in her prison too. Right? They've got their things here. Now let's step up for Julian, folks. Today, the time and oxygen are running out. Now, how long can you put up with that sort of mental harm? in a prison cell. Well, just ask any black fellow around you. Because we know what it's like to spend our lives in prison in our own country. Now these colonisers haven't got consent. Is that, does that mean anything to you? Consent? Surely. There's no peaceful settlement. Keep that in your mind. And when you see these cops, 
Or any, but they're just the tools of the, the state, remember? The state pays these people. Target your, your anger at them, not the cops. Get around them, right? Don't knock your heads against the cops. They're set up to knock you over. So we can step around all that shit and go to the heart of it. And that's Albanese at the moment. Trading on all this still. You know, there was no change in that election. None. So keep that in mind and just keep punching for the truth, folks. That's all we got. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Robbie Thorpe giving us a, a rousing welcome to country. What a man, huh? What a man, what an activist and a great friend of Julian's. He's been talking about Julian's fight for many, many years, uh, as a, I know a lot of you have. So um, a big hand for... Robbie, he's a real, really inspirational, and uh, and he's and that was a welcome to country, a real country, and a country that we're all grateful that, that the Aboriginal people allow us to live in. And he's right; it's not the it's not the government, and it's not the police, it's not institutions that make this place a wonderful place. It's the people who've who've been here for thousands of years who have made it. Who have, who have looked after it and have nurtured it. And it's only in these last few hundred years that we've had the ability to, to, to destroy it. Uh, so we have to hand back the reins to the Aboriginal people because they know how to use it, they know how to live with it, they know how to, to bring it forward. But as I said, Mr. Thorpe has been a great, uh, great advocate for Assange and, and the, the WikiLeaks movement and it's so wonderful to have him here and uh, we can only hope that we can have that spirit that he showed that we'll, we will actually feel that because I can feel it, my God trembled listening and it was just like we should all have that spirit within us I mean this, is, this, this spirit is from the, from the bowels of this country and we are, we are part of it we may have maybe recent part of it, but we're all part of it. And he, he explained it very well. Okay, we've got to move on a bit, and uh, we've got some music to come. We've got a lot of good things happening today. But the main thing is, everyone should try and enjoy it. Okay, how can you enjoy someone in prison? Well, it's his birthday, okay? It's, it's Julian's birthday today. His father's over there fighting for him. And uh, we're, we're all here, we're all fighting. We're all fighters, I can see in your faces. Everyone here is a fighter, and we will win. We will win this. We will win this, but it's only one little battle. There are many, many people lying in prisons throughout the world who need our support. Let's get Julian out, because he can, he can, he'll give us a lot of information that he's probably gathered, been locked up, that will, it's invaluable for, for our knowledge. So let's get him out. Let's, let's be solid and that solidarity let's be together let's try and embrace other movements that are, who similarly need to know the truth we all need to know the truth so our next speaker here today is um, uh, Chris M McKenzie from the pen uh, and she's going to introduce uh, 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 what she calls the empty chair now my knowledge of the empty chair I'm not wearing this kilt by mistake I'm actually Scottish but the, the empty chair, as far as my culture is concerned, 
was was set in place two or three hundred years ago when the Jacobites who supported the Stuart uh, 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 hierarchy, uh, the Stuart kings, and uh, when they were banished and beheaded and uh, thrown out of the country, went to live in Italy, what the clans would do to show which they supported, if they supported the return of a Jacobite king, they'd have an empty chair. And so when the other clans came to dinner, there'd be an empty chair, and then there'd be a glass of whiskey. And that would be the empty chair. Now, um, uh, Mr. Kenzie is going to take us a bit further and let us know what she knows about the empty chair and uh, how it's attached to Julian. So if we have... Where are you? Oh, there you are. Do you want to sit? Thank you, Jamie. That's great. And thank you very much, Robbie Thorpe, for welcoming us onto your country today in such a spirited and honest way. It was great. So thank you very much for that welcome. Um, so I'm from Penn, Melbourne, which is part of the Penn International Network of Penn Centres. Um, we advocate on behalf of writers who are silenced for carrying out the peaceful practice of their profession. Each year, Penn campaigns for hundreds of writers around the world who are unjustly harassed, tortured, persecuted and murdered with impunity in order, to, in order that those governments who don't want the information to come out um, can silence them. The number of such writers those facing dire punishment is increasing along with the growth of authoritarian regimes. Truth-telling is dangerous and this is not the time either to be complacent here in Australia. More and more we see that changes to national security legislation is curtailing freedom of expression. In particular, the freedom of the press to legitimately, without fear, expose matters seen to be in the public interest about government policy and national actions. This is under threat now, and it's even criminalised. So today, and, and thank you so much for the uh, interpretation of the empty chair. That was really inspirational. I hadn't known that story and I am of Scots ancestry myself. Yes, I'm from the Northern Hemisphere a long time ago. Um, the pen empty chair is for Australian journalist, publisher and truth teller and Penn Melbourne honorary member, Mr. Julian Assange. And the chair is empty today because on his 51st birthday, Julian, who should be with us, is spending his birthday in Belmarsh Prison, the United Kingdom's highest security prison, where he's been incarcerated for more than three years. He alerted the world to what is surely evidence of war crimes committed by the US in Iraq and for this 
he faces a prison sentence of up to 175 years if he is extradited. Nils Meltzer, the UN Special Rapporteur on Torture, has said that this is a case of political persecution and we believe it sets a dangerous precedent for all media, publishers and journalists. Penn Melbourne and Penn International urge the Australian government to intervene at the highest level with their UK and US counterparts to free Julian Assange. And the case, yes, it's a birthday cake. It has 51 candles on it. We won't be lighting them today because Julian's not here to blow them out. But they stand there in recognition of his birthday and the hope that he will be with us on his birthday next year. Yes. Woo! So, yes. So in the meantime, we're going to sing to him. He's in Belmarsh Prison and we're going to sing Wish You Were Here. Someone's going to lead us off on that. A bit of a sing-song here and maybe you can all join in if you know the words. And if you don't know the words, just pat your feet and, you know, shake your head and um, smile. Okay? So uh, they're going to give it a go. Now we're pretty limited in the, uh, with PAs and stuff like that, but uh, these people are bravely going to do our uh, our rendition with their the meagre uh, electronic abilities that we have. Okay, thank you all. This is Whitney and Lee. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. 
China, there'll be no more flags for Australia Day, no more flags for Australia Day, no more flags for Invasion Day. Uprise Radio and Stick Together, 3CR fundraiser, climate, capitalism and the future. Discussion and music, Saturday, July the 23rd, 3 to 7pm, Black Spark, 235A, St George's Road, Northcote, number 11 tram will get you there, stop 30. Climate, Capitalism and the Future, July the 23rd, 3 to 7 p.m., 3CR Fundraiser. Hi, Hi we're from Braver College and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio on 8.55 a.m. And yes, what a rollicking, uh, uh, rousing uh, birthday party gathering was held at uh, the steps of the State Library in Melbourne and across the world. Uh, hopefully the prediction was right. He will be home next year for his birthday. Uh, we're moving right along on 3CR Breakfast and uh, as I promised, we're going to one of the films that are coming up at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, which starts on the 21st down at the Nova. You could get stuff online, but uh, if you want to... Uh, uh, be involved in Q&As with uh, the uh, filmmakers and uh, have a look at the uh, it all on a very big screen, then that's what you can do. And uh, it's on the theme of uh, environment that I'm uh, trawling this morning and uh, I got the chance to talk to Jake Taylor who is part of a metal band called... Um, Let's see, what is it called? In Heart's Wake. In fact, they're very popular if you're a a metal fan and uh, they're a fierce lot. But uh, the thing that they've done, and uh, Jake is really a spearhead in this, uh, they've made a film called Green is the New Black and it documents the uh, uh, push to become a carbon offset band uh, in its production of uh, its uh, uh, albums as well as when they tour. And uh, it's a fascinating uh, exploration into their uh, attempts and their successes uh, in doing such a thing. And as I, uh, anyway, I, I had a chat with Jake and uh, I thought you might just like to hear a little bit about what the youngsters are doing to change uh, a negative into a positive. Well, it's a pretty impressive film, Green is the New Black. It, it was obviously the next stage in your creative persona. Yes. Yeah, I guess it was. Persona, interesting word. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, the necessary next step for sure, um, being a band and being as they say, an environmentally conscious band at that we've been just taking steps the last decade, to be honest. And we just got to that, you know, once you get to the the edge of the shore and there is the ocean before you kind of take that next step and then you're really in a whole nother world. And that, that was the documentary was that, that next step. Um, In Heart's Wake, 
as someone said in the film, he chuckles and says, oh, what, what, uh, uh, what next, you know, a heavy metal band and uh, environmentalism. I mean, it, quite clearly, this is a fabulous combination. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny because, like, I think for the most part, metal bands um, are just considered to be, you know, tattoos and like blood and skulls and just just so stereotyped into into the underworld and hell but for the most part um they exercise and get rid of all of their um all of the angst and the feeling through the music but there's such a community that come together in the underground that really bond in uh in that community and through that there's just so much uh like change and like it's like where punk and hardcore and all these, these genres came from rock and roll was like the rebellion of what wasn't cool and what wasn't um, okay. And through that angst, I think that there's this, yeah, this huge movement and push that the next step, because we needed to, is to really be much more conscious of, of our bodies and the planet. And through metal and in the, in the underground, they're seeing that the status quo and that, that it's not really being done on a, on a mainstream level, that it is yeah happening through metal and through this thing so it doesn't surprise me that um it, it's found its way through this vein because it's overtly political isn't it yeah well it gets politicized but really um it's it's really about our livelihood thrival and well-being to be honest yeah yeah um, but it gets politicized yeah because well, because we because it's in issues that matter often get politicized and need to be in politics but the fact that in the word environmental even is separated from, we could just say we're planetary. I mean, you know, we're, we're homebodies. It could be another word for environmental, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's also uh, extraordinary because you you decide that your band is going to, highly successful band, is going to uh, do a carbon offset uh, in the creation of your next album as well as focusing on touring because you want to have a future, basically. That's what you're, you're, the bottom line of this film is about. Uh, you found there was a lot of uh, hurdles to jump, right, to make this happen. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of hurdles. Uh, anything that's new or ahead of, ahead of the curve, if I, if I do say so, because I think, yeah, the curve involves working out how we can do this sustainably and regeneratively um, if we want to have a music scene. So, yeah, it's quite a serious subject matter. Um, and those hurdles involve, like, challenging how we do retail. When you go buy your favourite CD, DVD or Blu-ray or whatever it is that you purchase, it's often shrink-wrapped in plastic. Um, it's just normal, like the normal done thing. And then that shrink-wrap gets torn off and put in a bin and, you know, never to be seen again. And we'd sign CDs that you know fans oh can you sign this and it'd be a shrink wrap cd and we take that off and you put the shrink wrap aside the next person hey can we and then all of a sudden you've got this huge pile of shrink wrap and we're having to dispose of that and like it starts to wow like there's so much waste created from this process and so challenging those cd uh, retailers and saying hey why does this actually need to be shrink wrapped in plastic and they go oh it's just what we do because it protects and you know ensures and all of these reasons which are kind of just band-aid reasons basically um so yeah that was a big hurdle because the retailers just said no we're not going to stop you like most retailers are not going to stop it if it's not in wrapped plastic 
So that being one of them. And then just the expectation, I think, around um, you know, what your, your live show is supposed to be. If you're a big band, you blow up things on stage and you have CO2 jets and, and just curbing that expectation with to say, well, here's something new and something different and here's the reason why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, so you're really leading um, the, the pack with this because the shrink wrap thing was really fascinating because you must have had to have gone through every step in the process to break it down to see where you were uh, to become carbon neutral. Um, yeah, well. You actually we- spoke to somebody. You got somebody to help you out. Yeah, we spoke to, we spoke to lots of people, but. This is such a new space that nothing's perfect. And it's important to say that, like, when you say every step, we did as many steps that we could we could find, but I'm sure there were plenty of steps that were missed to be true, and we'll discover more steps. Um, we're a carbon-neutral organisation, so it's our organisational practices. Um, this isn't, like, we, we can't, we're not yet able to put on the scope of every punter and, and every single uh, T-shirt and CD. Like, we're in that process of, of just working with the companies such as this, the city and vinyl companies to make sure that they have their own process, then it mitigates our need to have to do it for them. Same with the t-shirts. So it just, it's, it's a supply chain thing. And by doing that and being selective, we're actually voting for, for the, the business companies and visions that are in alignment with, with a, a better, cleaner, greener future, so to speak. And I think that that really is the rather than doing it all ourselves, like who can we work with that already does it? Which is really interesting because uh, that's what this film actually documents and uh, your process and your collaborations. Uh, it's uh, like you say, it's about people being mindful and changing their practices. Yeah, yeah, and being kind on themselves too. You know, I think that's part of mindful that we we sometimes overlook the word mindful is like, oh, I need to be careful where I spend it as caution. And there's like this level of like, I'm doing bad. I need to be more mindful, but really mindful is also loving and caring and being like, wow, I'm not perfect. may never be. Let me be aware as a first step and see what I can control and what I can change if it feels good for me. Yeah. You spoke to people. Uh, I was really fascinated by the um, splendor in the grass uh person who told told us about how they changed uh how people uh brought uh drinks at their festival and how it had this uh knock-on effect which meant that there was no rubbish at the end of the event that was amazing yeah just a crew yeah the splendor arguably what our biggest festival like the coachella of of australia um and yeah jess they yeah their initiative was yeah reusable cup and so you go in you collect a cup and you take that cup and that's your cup and when you come to get a new cup they switch it over so it's not there's there's an issue of hygiene if you have the same cup the whole time but in the doing so um with the deposit of the cup it wasn't getting trashed and you get that money back at the end and it just mitigated what single use plastic and therefore they saved 40 ton of waste just from the one initiative, which is just from that one thing, which is, which is remarkable. And I mean, there's 40 ton of waste, but then let's think about the, uh, 
the construction, um, sorry, not the construction, just the just the um, the machinery that's required to come in and remove that waste, and the diesel will power that. So it's just has a, a knock-on effect. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I, 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 that was just absolutely extraordinary that that happened, uh, and it costs. Uh, uh, it actually saves um, people. Yeah. It, it actually yeah. saves. Amazing. It does. Uh, it, it does. It's just. It's just. Yeah. It's a. I guess it's a new way of thinking yeah. um, by not doing something that you would normally do. Yeah. It's a little bit of hassle to find out what the new alternative could be. We can call it hassle, but actually, no, you're actually saving, going to save yourself money and find a better practice. That's going to like be better for everyone. And I think if you can tie in that it's going to save you money for most companies, because they're just looking at bottom line. And if they see that as an end result, or that's the, at least the, the steps towards, they're more likely to do it. Because you're a, because you're a, um, a very popular band. I mean, the um, even though you were having difficulty with re- retailers who were saying, "Oh, you've got to have, you've got to have shrink wrap, you've got to have," and all the rest of it, um, Keller Junger actually debuted on the um, Australian charts number three. You're a very popular band, so therefore you can actually have this uh, push this agenda, can't you? Um, I mean, we're not, it, it maybe in the heavy music world, we might be considered popular, um, overall. I, I don't, I just, yeah, push the agenda. I try and, you know what, let's just, I, I like to come back to more, yeah, lead, lead by example. If we even consider ourselves leaders, I think it's up to others whether they want to, um, take that and extrapolate that's up to everyone else. But I don't want to push anything other than to say what well, feels good and best for us. And maybe that will have a ripple on effect that I can only hope for. Um, but I can't push for that because, yeah, leading out of fear and pushing in like these sort of terms, it makes it doesn't make anyone feel good. So, yeah, it's kind of to say, yeah, the pushing just comes from, well, we want to do this. If you want to be part of this, this is how we'd like to do it. Are you okay with that? And then, you know, reasons why. And most people are more, yeah, inclined to say, oh, yeah, we'll try that. So I hope that we can be of influence um, in some way. And, yeah, the, the chart thing, the, you know, it was number three overall. I think Taylor Swift was out that week too and a, and a country musician that was that beat us by 26 copies or something, 35 copies, I can't remember. But, um, yeah, it, it, it did show us that, oh, like, yeah, our fans and, and our community – got behind that vision and it didn't, how do we say, like, yeah, affect us in the long run, you know, it affected us one way, but the support came through another vein. Yes. And so it's again shifting that, that whole way of, of, of looking at the, the process. Did, did you find that um, there was, people were receptive? I mean, people are uh, wanting to be part of the solution, not the um, problem. Yeah, I think all of, I believe all of the fans and the community were very receptive. The pushback comes from just the machine orientated people in that process, which is, oh, this is too much for us to, we don't need, like, we don't really need your, your extra sales to be fair. You know, we've like, it's no sweat off our back. So yeah. And with any change is always going to be pushed and that's how we grow, right? It's growing pains. So uh, it was to be expected that it would be. We're a duality. We're always going to have both. Yeah. Um, and it's healthy to have that, I think, that conversation. Tell me about the making of the film because 
<clears throat> making it, doing the the subject matter is something that you were keen to uh, document, but making a film is a practical thing. So tell me about how you co-directed and uh, what you learned, because that's what it was yeah. about for you, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Look, making a film, what did I learn? I learned that it costs a lot more than you think. Because <laughs> you were the producer. And money. Um, yeah, it was. And so it was just filling out arts grants and then thinking, oh, I've got this budget, and then realising it costs twice as much and then just basically scraping whatever band funds we could we could create from selling a, a T-shirt to playing, you know, the odd, the odd acoustic show in a local pub. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, I think um, it's a labour of love and you, you approach making a film like you would raising a child to a degree or anything creative that you want to give it your role and, yeah, do the best that you can. I would, yeah, I would, looking back on it, I don't know. If, I still, I, I guess I wouldn't change anything other than budget a bit higher and put my time aside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, how did you choose your interviewees? Well, they were natural the interviewees were a natural flow and effect started out with really Heidi Lenfer, who's credible um, initiative called feet, which is like a super, a superannuation fund essentially, but it's solar and artists can invest in solar and receive a return. And I knew Heidi. Um, yeah. Through the music industry, she used to play in a band still does play in a band, but um, that was a primary thing back then. And, interviewing Heidi, speaking with Heidi after interview. I'm like, who else? You know, like, oh, I know Damon. He lives in your way, actually. So Damon Gamma, like, just put me in touch with Damon. And then our publicist happened to also be the Splendor in the Grass publicist. So she asked Jess and Jess like, yeah, I'm happy to be part of that. And um, Damon led me to A.Y. Young, the African-American man from um, Battery Tour, doing solar-powered batteries on the road. And so just with something like this that does have a, a regenerative and positive um, storytelling um, catalyst behind it. I think that just being in the flow of that and letting it grow and seeing who are these, who are these interviewees on this journey. And it really happened quite organically. Mm. And also um, I know this, I know that uh, fighting for the planet is uh, not a age related activity, but um this is uh, doing it for yourself uh, is a very young person's approach, isn't it, really? Because there's quite a lot of young people who are trying to work out ways where they can be um, creative as well as carbon neutral. Yeah, fighting for your planet. Um, interesting. I don't, I, don't know what it's, I don't even know what it's like to be on, yeah, this side of, like if we look at the life cycle as, you know, spring summer autumn winter i guess i would be somewhere in the summer of my life um and that being said i only know what it's like to be in the spring and the summer and so i can resonate with the youth and that yeah we'd like to have children and or we already have children for some people and it's really looking yeah looking ahead and and, and planning for those things whereas i think if you look at a lot of politics that generalizing too much a lot of the people that work so hard to get into those places where they're in power now put in many, many years and often a lot of them are in the autumn or fall of their life. And they've got a very a much shorter like vision with the next 10 years or what can I get or how can I hold power? I've worked all my life for this. And they've come from that, that different um, setting in different times when it was, yeah, 
when it was Cold War or post-World War II, et cetera. And that was much more the threat. Um, who was the enemy? Protect your own. And now the biggest threat is really, I guess, ourselves and looking at it more holistically. So I think, yeah, I don't. I, I try to avoid the word fight because it imposes that there's an enemy, um, but more just, yeah, siding with what's needed. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's interesting to me because, um, I mean, I've been aware of the, the climate problems since the 1970s. So that's quite a long time. Um, so it takes a long time uh, for action until there, it reaches some sort of critical mass, I suppose. Well, it's a bit of an invisible one for most people, mm. and yet it's becoming, it's been invisible. It's been like just a scientific fact. No one's actually had it firsthand <clears throat> until Australia had really bushfires at, front, at the front door, the floods, like just really big catastrophic events which we've never seen before on this level. And that all of a sudden we've been able to really visualize and viscerally like feel what that feels like. Not to say that it wasn't there in the seventies because I wasn't alive in the seventies, but we can we constantly get distracted like, or distractions are created not to get conspiracies here, but just, you know, mm. by distractions being created, I mean, we come up like all of a sudden it's the, you know, it's the pandemic threat very it's very like at the forefront of what our attention is how we're trying to solve that and i feel like the the bigger overall climate crisis keeps taking a back seat um because we're so used to bad news it being bad news it's a fear thing and um so it takes the back seat and we're just it's you know whatever war is at its present whether it's in afghanistan iraq cold war since the 70s there's been so many huge events that make headlines and, and bring our attention whether it's ukraine it's I and mean, they're all relevant and important, but I think that this year it's we haven't really we've been we've individualized a lot and it's country versus country and not the world working together. Mm. And it's uh, very hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and of course while you were making this film, all those things happened. So the fires, the floods, and um the uh pandemic. So uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's I, big. Yeah, so yeah. it's big. Yeah, it's and, been and, a big time. Yeah, yeah. Kali Yuga. That's what Kali Yuga is. This sort of really big time of facing all our stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a great film, and uh, uh, more strength to your arm for for uh, attempting and achieving what you've done. Thank you so much, Anna. Yeah, it's it's a journey, and we're we're on it. And in some ways, this is like the the first big necessary step. And I'm excited and intrigued as to see how it will evolve and who it might draw out from the woodwork to be part of this tapestry that we're all weaving together. Thanks for talking to me. Thanks for having me. This is an emergency.
Listening to 3CR Radio. A week solidarity, Bricky Team listener. When listening this week to the grave threat we face from evil China, from our Minister for Train Killing and Being Offensive, Richard Duffer. Ah, uh, no, no, that's not his name. Uh, Constable Peter Mall's the bad guys? No, no, sorry, no, no, that's not it either. D- Damn, I get them mixed up. I'll have to sort that out for us, listener. Although, might I say, haven't we noticed the difference in our rhetoric toward evil China from our new government? Oh, we want a better relationship, but meanwhile, our Socialist Party government agrees with the US of the UN of the US of the world. Well, that's taken for granted. Agrees with that evil China remains a threat and no country should be allowed to build military bases in the Asia-Pacific region. And to ensure no country should be allowed to build military bases in the Asia-Pacific region, our very, very, very close friend, the US of, will expand its already huge numbers of bases in the Asia-Pacific region to prevent the expansion of train killer bases in the Asia-Pacific region. Logic and consistency running riot. The US of Vice Big Supremo Kamala Horrors for Evil China couldn't make it to the Pacific Conference in Fiji, but beamed in that the US would expand its influence through diplomacy as well as in train killing and being offensive, having realised, she said, it has for far too long ignored our Pacific friends, as Trubler was, he calls them. Uh, Kamala, has that realisation anything to do with your attitude to evil China? Perish the thought. No one till you raised it, and might I say I find that question, that inference, insulting, offensive. Until you raised it, the thought had not crossed my mind. No, we just realized how much we are concerned for and care about our Pacific friends. Whereas now that you've raised the question, evil China just wants to use these very, very, very close friends of the U.S. of for its own evil purposes. 
maintaining the consistency, our Richard Duffer or Constable Peter Malls, the bad guys or whatever his name is, lauded the US of increasing its already huge numbers of trained killer and offensive bases across the Asia-Pacific by declaring evil China is undertaking the single biggest military build-up in history. In other words, ever, ever. Aren't we lucky to have a close friend like the peace-loving U.S. of whose sincerity and integrity we so admire? And let's hope war is peace can be further consolidated by paying a tribute to the recently assassinated Japanese ex-big supremo through granting his great overwhelming wish to remove the pacifist bit of their constitution and allow them to join the train-killing-for-peace spree across the Asia-Pacific. After the hopefully politically assassinated Sri Lankan long-term dictator, the last of the Rajapaka punches no longer, fled seeking sanctuary, presumably with most of his country's coffers to see him through, it was said the civil war had ended years ago which we can be sure would have come as news for a hell of a lot of Tamils. Although there must be no ongoing persecution, because True Blue Aussie refuses to accept they are no proper papers, queue-jumping illegal boat people, are refugees. So they must be shattered to see the backs of the Raja Paksa Punch no, law, no more. We're thrilled to be able to award the Objective Consistency Media Award of the Week to, who else, the Lord Rupert of Wapping Sin. Congratulations, which for ages has been agreeing with our public health authority, the Chambers of Profits, that we don't need lockdowns or masks or distancing or anything that doesn't let the sundry COVID strains rip, doesn't let us just learn to live with it and die with it attacking the pejorative Dan government for being too close to the public health health advisers who have no idea what they're talking about and no concern for the chambers of profits and their profits. Even though the government has decided to let it rip, and that's working a treat, rip, rip, rip. But this week, when the pejorative Dan government said it would ignore the public health health advice that masks should again be mandated, the very thing Maud Rupert has demanded, the whopping sin then attacked it for not mandating them, attacked it for doing what Lord Rupert has decreed it must do for the health of the economy, the only health that matters. Lord Rupert of Wapping, your objective consistency media award of the week is on its way. Let it rip learn to live and die with, has naturally led to thousands living and dying with it, prompting our public health authority, the Chambers of Profits, to provide more advice. Thanks to so many workers being ill and thanks to people not being able to go out and spend as much, it is imperative, they said, that the government must provide lots of, well, lots more of, corporate welfare because their altruistic health advice is working too well with many workers and customers not too well. Thankfully, their wise advice didn't run to taking steps to contain the epidemic and prevent illness and death, just a good corporate welfare handout and problem solved. Indeed, the Federal Minister, Mark Buckalunda, predicted millions could catch COVID before winter's over. Many would die, but thank goodness this didn't require any steps to prevent this happening either. Thank goodness he's listened to the very wise Chambers of Profits health advice. 
Although speaking of consistency, listener, caring employers are concerned that casual workers, gig workers, will turn up with COVID because they can't afford not to because they don't have sick leave. The government must meet the caring employers' costs of their isolation. Yet, when evil unions suggest they should receive little crippling conditions like sick leave and holidays and superannuation and other crippling conditions full-time workers enjoy, they tell us that is all taken care of through the fabulous casual rate they receive. So, so these workers should have put aside their sick leave. It's their own bloody fault. Although only because we know caring employers would never be inconsistent, we'd almost believe there was some slight inconsistency in that argument. And the, <clears throat> my word, they've learned their lesson award of the week to the New South Wales government after allowing passengers on a princess cruise ship wrecked with COVID more than two years ago to alight, led to a massive spread of COVID back then, just as the fun, fun, fun princess cruises have resumed, taking to our seas again, another princess cruiser turned up in Sydney with COVID, running riot on board, and what a smart move. The New South Wales government has let the passengers loose again without any need for testing or precautions. New South Wales Government, your My Word They've Learned Their Lesson Award is on its way. On caring employers, yet another wise, sensible decision by our judiciary in a matter over primitive salt and fat and sugar foods transferring its lazy, avaricious workforce from an hourly rate under their enterprise agreement to salary contracts. The matter involving poor primitive being forced to sack or sorry, sadly have to let go, a very, very naughty, disobedient worker who had the gall to ask his co-workers about the contracts they were signing, wages and conditions, those sort of things that were no business of his and broke the company's confidentiality policy. He even showed disrespect by suggesting many workers were unhappy with their contracts, their new wages and conditions, and thus this week the federal court ruled his dismissal was legal and proper. Out the door. What a sensible decision. How dare a worker ask other workers about their wages and conditions? The caring employer's human resources manager, see workers are resources, said quite sensibly workers knowing other workers' wages and conditions could lead to conflict and people resigning because they're disgruntled. Employees would not understand the rationale behind the offers, she pointed out. Uh, uh, which is? Uh, well, t to pay them as little as possible. Yet another wise decision. Wonder if the members of the bench making these decisions are on the same wages and conditions as the primo tib, salt and sugar, etc. workers. Another threat to economic health remains all these bloody protesters carrying on about fossils being dug up and forests being flattened. Irresponsible, long-haired, greeny, cobby, wooden work in an iron lodge displaying no concern whatever for the welfare of the responsible great corporates who extract and use the fossils and chainsaw the forests. Hopefully draconian, but essential penalties like 20,000 plus fines and a year or two in jail might deter these economic vandals, although sadly many of them claim they won't be deterred. In fact, one mob, the Trublawasi Koala Foundation, wants to go even further.
It wants land clearing and development banned from all koala habitat areas. One and a half million hectares of forest, 20% of the continent, just because they reckon they're a bit endangered. For goodness sake, where's their sense of patriotism, of concern for decent law-abiding shareholders? Okay, okay, let's not ignore the koalas, but let's strike a balance. Leave a few trees for them, but don't get between a koala and a huge bag of lovely, lovely money. Let's not make the chainsawing industry the endangered species. But listener, it gets worse. There's another mob, they're probably all related to each other, who reckon the greater glider is not just endangered, but in danger of extinction. And true to form, they blame the chainsaws and the fossils for raging bushfires they claim are destroying the glider's habitat. For goodness sake, there's still plenty of trees. Okay, there mightn't be the exact trees with hollows gliders live in. The long-haired lot use the fact that these trees take years to become suitable for the gliders, but surely, like we've had to adapt to learning to live and die with the pandemic, the gliders can adapt. I mean, we can't expect the chainsaws to adapt, can we? So finally, my advice about these disruptors is, for what it's worth, if the jail term isn't enough, make it life imprisonment and find them trillions. That'll teach them to have some concern for the economy rather than for nebulous rubbish, utter crap like saving the forests and their ecology or preventing the planet frying to death. Quite simply, we can't afford not to. Good morning. Yeah, thanks, uh, Kevin. And that leads us beautifully into our conversation with Richard Swain. G'day, Richard. How are you? Good. How are you, Annie? Yeah. Uh, just reminding you, you're all listening to 3CR Breakfast and you're with Annie. And yeah, Richard Swain, you have a very interesting title. You're the Indigenous Ambassador for the Invasive Species Council which is a fascinating thing that people may not be aware of, even existing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The, the invasive species are the largest, or the current biggest threat to extinction of our native species. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I'm very proud to be an ambassador for the Invasive Species Council. And the big battle uh, that's on at the moment uh, and continues for you in particular, and it's documented in a film that's going to be on at the uh, uh, Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. It's going to be on on the 23rd uh, at 5 o'clock at Nova, and you're going to be there. But it's about, it's called... Where the Water Starts, and this is uh, looking at the water sources, the headwaters, in fact, of the Snowy, Murray and Murrumbidgee rivers, and how important it is that they be protected. Yeah, that's right. Um, For me, it's about culture. I believe we're, we're doing the things we're doing to Australia things like killing the barrier reef because it's in our culture to do so and if it wasn't in our culture to do so it wouldn't be happening so so for me the the battle of the feral horses in the mountains it's like the donald bradman of that innings where australians prepared to destroy country and send pigs extinct just for their hobby and um so for me, it's a cultural battle. Yeah, it's fascinating because uh, uh, in this film, it talks about the Brumby being seen as an avatar of white belonging. 
I think it's colonial. Uh, I, I, I hope to think that it doesn't matter what your genetic makeup is that you can consider yourself an Australian and, and you can become a responsible custodian of the land, like fulfil your obligation as a current custodian. Well, you would think so. Uh, in fact, when um, I, I spend a, a lot of time, uh, about six years living in the bush, not as far up as that, but I learnt a really lot by living in the bush, uh, you know, like the sound and the, uh, everything about just being there uh, taught you a lot that I'm convinced people who are making these decisions have no uh, connection. And you uh, you talk about uh, healing the country with Aboriginal connection plus the best of science. Yeah, I... I... I believe the landscape now has changed and, and so much has happened in two centuries. And I believe that it's all of our responsibility. So we need the best of regenerative science. We need all of us to to go forward. But we do need to form a love and connection to country and to be a part, feel a part of the place as Australians, which currently we do live very avatarish upon this continent. Uh, the um, in this campaign to uh, deal with the destruction of that environment through the introduction of these wild horses, there was a bill passed in uh, the New South Wales Parliament uh, at the behest of their Belarus, the uh, National Party uh, leader. Uh, it, Using the most extraordinary terms, uh, that the Brumby is a heritage animal that deserves protection. And the people who uh, came and demonstrated for this bill were saying things like, hands off our bush. I mean, it's a really strange sense of entitlement, isn't it? And they were very personally uh, attacking of you. Oh, it's been really horrible, the attacks. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a battle Australia has happening. It's a battle of culture. It's Do we want a culture that is not connected and is destroying the place, or do we want one that is connected and, and loves the place? Um, it's happening fast, like a lot of things around us, and it, it's, I couldn't believe it when they decided to basically destroy the mountains for their hobby. I, I um, you know, based on a fictitious poem and a fictitious movie, which I just couldn't believe how shallow and how disconnected and, and, and horrible that was for country and for those species up there. Also, uh, uh, it's a very bullying culture too, isn't it? Like, you will do what I want. You can't <laughs> tell me what to do. I, I, I grew up at home in the mountains and I knew that you know the colonial crowd thought they they were it when it came to country and I knew that the snowy scheme was looked up to as if it was a god um, but you know I was read with the truth about landscape so but I, I guess I didn't realize uh, social media I think taught me just how full-on it could be and how People will behave like a cornered cat if you're, you know, if they feel that their identity is being, you know, attacked or 
would, you know, um, you know, expose the truth of their identity that it is based on fiction. They really don't like it. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, the in the film it actually uh, deals with this. It's, it's um, Bruce Pascoe says it. He says it's not about identity; it's about the environment. That's right. Yeah. So these minority groups have got away with this for a long time in Australia. It's it's like, does anyone really think Mick Dundee was the bushman and and the, and the blackfellas were his sidekicks? I mean, <laughs> that this is it, it, it's a it's a it's a, we need to form a connection to this place before we wipe everything out, basically. Yeah, it's a, a call. To, it's a call, isn't it? Um, the uh, you say something. Uh, you, you it, this film um, where the water starts uh, is a very fine film because it we're, we're allowed. We're given the gift of walking with you in country. And you say something really interesting. Uh, you say uh, you rem- your um, uh, you remember a more alive world. Definitely, I I think whether you're you know one minute old or a hundred years old, you've seen nothing but a decline in the natural world in your lifetime, and um, and that's the truth. So. I think if you were to ask this country and its species if it's had one good minute in the last 230 years, you know, I, I don't think many people would be surprised with the answer because we all know the truth. We all know what's happening. Uh, it it uh, worries me that it could be done in such a short amount of time. And uh, the opening uh, of the film is about the statement about greed, uh, it's um, it's this mismanagement of country uh, is about greed. Yeah, well, well, Mandy and Fabio were following around with a camera, and I was just showing them parts of country, and then the, the film kind of, kind of, um, I introduced them to other Aboriginal people in the area who I thought would have something to say, and. Uh, so that, that that's how the film came about. That they they went and interviewed the people I introduced them to, and and it it, it is a, a a perspective on country that I believe is an invitation for modern modern Australians to to take up. You're going to be down here on the twenty third, and you're going to be part of the uh, Q and A. Uh, at the Nova at 5pm for this film, Where the Water Starts. I have to say, it conflicts with an event we're running, but uh, it is a very important film. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I will make it down there. Um, we've tried to make it to as many screenings as we could. It's, um, it's an important issue because there are a lot of issues out there, but they're all interlinked with our culture. And, and that... That for me is the core message. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Uh, I, I think it's all, it's all about this. Uh, you, you, I mean, it's I mean, it's all about country. But it, what you're trying to tell people is that uh, what's going on at the headwaters is part of the reason for the destructive fires, for example. Oh, yeah. I, I got interviewed the other day about uh, fire practices, and I said, well. 
everyone's talking about we've got to burn country. Yeah. Nobody's talking about we've got to put water back in country. I would mm. have thought <laughs> bringing back water and, and um, swamps and springs and regenerating the sponge that this country used to be would be, if not more important, at least as important as continuing to burn things. You know, it's that thing, you know, of... Uh, culture, you talk about cultural. Uh, this business about uh, Western culture and uh, thinking that it can control nature, that its job is to control nature uh, as opposed to live with nature. It's, it's, a, a, it's a foolish, it's so foolish, it's so hubristic. Yeah, very true. But not, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm going to drive to Melbourne in a car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. So, so I, I, I see the few, it is about us trying to fathom this modern lifestyle in a sustainable way, trying to look for a sustainable future. Because, um, yeah, I, I, I'd rather look for answers than and just come up with arguments, but but no no solutions. As you said, it's not about identity; it's about environment. Yeah. Thanks for spending some time with us this morning. Oh, well, thank you for having me, and I hope, hope Melbourne is a good showing. I, I, every every uh, showing has been more and more meaningful so far. It's been really good. Yeah, good. Okay. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Annie. Bye. If we go to war with China, there'll be no more flags for Australia Day. No more flags for Australia Day. No more flags for Invasion Day. Uprise Radio and Stick Together, 3CR fundraiser, climate, capitalism and the future. Discussion and music, Saturday, July the 23rd, 3 to 7pm. Black Spark, 235A, St George's Road, Northcote, number 11 tram will get you there, stop 30. Climate, Capitalism and the Future, July the 23rd, 3 to 7pm, 3CR fundraiser. Yeah, that's right. And I forgot to put on that, that it's $10, but nobody turned away. And there's a raffle as well. So bring along at least five bucks for that. Great raffle. Um, that particular event, uh, the film that we've just been talking about, uh, Where the Water Starts, uh, you might like to come to our event and then go to Nova by uh, five to see uh, Richard Swain and the filmmakers. Uh, the the tickets are $15 per head. Uh and um, Green is the New Black is on the 27th of July, Wednesday at 6.30pm. And we're going to finish up the program with a visit to the opening of the uh, Ellen Jose Art Prize for Young Women. Young Women, yeah, here we go. It was uh, down at... Uh, oh, I wrote it down. Yeah, I did. I can tell you where it is. You can go and have a look at it. Bayside Gallery. I'd like to commence this afternoon by acknowledging the Munrung people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional owners and custodians of this land and we pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging as well as any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander community members with us today. We acknowledge the Bunurong's continuing relationship to the land and waterways and respect that their connection and spiritual identities maintained through ancient ceremonies, song lines, dance, art and living culture. 
we pay tribute to the invaluable contribution of the Bunurong and other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders who have guided and continue to guide the work we do. Thank you for joining us for the official opening of the Ellen Jose Art Award for Young Women, a partnership between the Ellen Jose Memorial Foundation and Bayside City Council. Bayside has an abiding commitment to reconciliation and a vision to nurture the inherent creativity of our community by celebrating artistic expression. This paves way for a vibrant, connected community working together to create a better future for all Australians. The Ellen Jose Art Award for Young Women encompasses these shared values. This unique triangle award is the first of its kind, encompassing a $15,000 non-acquisitive prize designed to support young female artists in the early stages of their career. The award is held in honour of Ellen Jose, a pioneering Indigenous artist, radical activist and social justice campaigner who lived in Bayside in the suburb of Black Rock for over 25 years. This exhibition brings together six finalists from across Australia who exude talent and creative vision. This year's finalists include Marina Benini, Ellen Mestragan Harkinson, Hannah Gardside, Nadia Hernandez, Anika Romain and Emma Singer. A special thank you to those artists who have travelled great distances to be here with us this afternoon. Thank you so much. By supporting this award, we aim to foster creative freedom and licence for artists to gain recognition and professional development. This in turn provides our community with creative spaces to enjoy and opportunities to gain a greater insight and appreciation of arts and culture, bringing us one step closer to realising the aspirations of our Bayside 2050 community vision. And now it gives me great pleasure to introduce Dr. Joseph Toscana, husband of the late Alan Jose and leader of the Alan Jose Memorial Foundation, to say a few words about the foundation and its great work. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for uh, all the people who've come today uh, to honour Ellen's memory. Many of you knew her personally over many, many years. Uh, Ellen died of uh, insulin-dependent uh, diabetic complications. She uh, became an uh, insulin-dependent diabetic at the age of 27, uh, which was a, a great blow to her. But uh, through sheer willpower and obviously good medical intervention, she survived till she was in her mid-60s and uh, died five years ago. Um, she had two requests when she was dying. She wanted to promote reconciliation, but she felt that the adult population had lost interest or never able to come to any definitive conclusions regarding reconciliation and through her volunteer work here with the Bayside community and the Bayside City Council over a quarter of a century. Uh, she um, formed strong links with many of the uh, schools and for the last four years in association with Bayside City Council we have been holding the Alan Jose Art and Literary Awards for students who live or go to school in Bayside on the theme Reconciliation Through Their Eyes. And many of the people that are here today would have seen many of those excellent exhibitions. 
Another great passion of Ellen was young female artists. She was a pioneer in the urban indigenous art movement, but she always described herself as an artist, not an indigenous artist. She traveled widely around the world, met First Nations people from around the world, uh, did lecture tours. So she had a universal vision. Her vision wasn't constrained by family or clan or tribe or cultural background or language. Her vision was always universal. That's why she was uh, an important social justice campaigner uh, during her life. And her vision was that when she was trying to establish herself as an artist, and we first met in 1974, it was an exceptionally difficult journey for young women. And she wanted something to be done uh, to assist upcoming young women artists to claw their way up that ladder. Because at that age, between 18 and 35, because of uh, commitments, pressures, a lot of young women basically give up that ambition of being uh, an artist. So the Ellen Jose Art Award is a, is a um, partnership between the Bayside City Council and the Ellen Jose Memorial Foundation. I'd like to call on the five artists who are able to make it today to come forward please because without them and the 281 people who submitted entries when uh, entries were called for, there would be no exhibition. I'm going to do, I'm going to do something which is very, very evil, because I didn't know about this. I'm going to ask each one of them to say a few words and introduce themselves, and maybe say a few words about their artwork. Thank you. Hi everyone, I'm Annika Romain. Um, I'm visiting from Canberra, uh, Ngunnawal and Ngambri country, and I also pay my respects to the Bunurong people um, of this, who've cared for this region over many generations. Uh, it's an honour to be exhibiting alongside these women. Uh, it was a fantastic exhibition, and I've uh, had the chance to exhibit three large-scale watercolour monotype prints for the first time, um, and they're about a really special place Gorilla Bay on the New South Wales south coast on Yuan country. So I create them in, in uh, relation to the scale of my body, like my arm span and um, sort of my full height and arms outstretched to give you the sense of being able to walk into the environment um, and then to go up close and have a look at the details of my, my fingertip um, moulding the, the watercolour on the, on the plastic printing place before it gets transferred onto paper. Um, damp paper through a printing press. But happy to have a chat with you later in the exhibition. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much for coming, everybody, and joining us today. My name is Nadia Hernandez, and I also want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay my respects um, to any First Nations people here as well. Um, yeah, my work is a series of oil stick paintings and textile works 
um, inspired by a conversation I had with my grandmother and her sisters about my great-grandmother's story. I'm originally from Venezuela, and yeah, it's titled De Curar Una Herida, Enfrentar Un Animal, To Heal a Wound, To Befriend an Animal. And I'm really excited to be sharing the stage with um, the artists, and thank you. Um, hi everyone, my name is Marina Bernini, I'm a Yori Wurundjeri Winya. I'd also like to acknowledge the country in which we are gathered on this afternoon and the traditional owners being Bundurang. I'd also like to acknowledge um, my own mum who is joining us and also Professor uh, Marcia Langton for being here and any and all First Nations people gathered. So I have a video work in this exhibition and this video work has many complex ideas encompassed within it but essentially it tells the story, my story, of what it means to be an Aboriginal woman moving through Western institutions and Western spaces. And through my storytelling I have been able to gather um, and digitise archival footage from the ACME collection, as well as find and, and gather imagery and other videos from other film archives. I've also included my own imagery that I've documented, and my beautiful mother is in the video alongside my uncle, who are my knowledge holders that I pay tribute and homage to. Um, the knowledge that I share within the video work has been passed down to me from my ancestors and from my community, so they're very important to me. Um, the work essentially talks to all the different uh, experiences that I have experienced working within these spaces. Um, and yeah, let me know what you think. <laughs> Thanks. Hi everyone, hello. My name is Emma Singer. Um, I'm from Mimili community. Um, small community. Um, nice, nice to be here. So I'm like, I'm so happy to be first time in Melbourne and I'm so excited. Thank you. here on Brimbarang Wurundjeri country. Um, I have four works in this show and they're the installation. So I have a gate, a light, a um, nameplate of this magical place I made up called Gorgeous, and a sculpture called Wall Kisser, which you are very welcome to hand crank. Uh, this, that sculpture is made with leather and red velvet from old kind of 1930s, 50s dresses. Inside the love hearts are lavender dried from my garden. Um, it's a very new kind of playful way of working for me. Um, so I hope you enjoy the show and like the others said, it's just an absolute pleasure to be here with them and to be in this inaugural Ellen Jose exhibition. Thank you. I have Ellie joining us from Perth. We're going to try see if the audio will work. Hello? Hi, I'm Ellie. I'm speaking from 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.